Great game. Uh, Ronda Ron. Oh, here we go. Take it away, Sluggo. Hey, everybody. This is Harvey Sluggo Wasserman. Back to you with the Green Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition Zoom call, uh, otherwise known as Gree Gree, and especially in, uh, in New Orleans. We have uh, about 50 people on with us already. We're going to be uh, with my great audience uh, for, I've done over 500 shows already at uh, the Progressive Radio Network. I went and visited the studio. It was great uh, uh, to, me to meet Rodney and Dylan. Thank you guys for putting the show out. Uh, this week, we're going to do two hours. Uh, we will go the first hour on election issues, uh, which are finally a little fun to talk about. And uh, with the second hour, we're going to go into... Um, um, Sorry, that's my phone, my problem. Uh, second hour, we're going to go into uh, the the depths of the energy issue, nuclear power, um, and uh, the attack on solar energy in California. Um, uh, well, there is some good news uh, also to uh, talk about with that, but we are rocking and rolling uh, from Dr. Nancy and also from Steve Spitz, Go Blue, Go Michigan, um, and uh, any, any other Michigan alumni, uh, uh, you're more than welcome. And in Georgia, it's great to see you from Western Massachusetts. And sorry I missed you. I was up there for 24 hours uh, to see my old Montague farm and you folks, but we'll get together again soon. And uh, and no nukes to all of that. I want to congratulate, by the way, Massachusetts and um, Oregon uh, in this election elected the first lesbian governors uh, in the history of the United States, at least uh, lesbian governors that we know about. Uh, and I think there are now more than a dozen female governors in the United States. Uh, it was a big day uh, uh, for uh, uh, gubernatorial races. Unfortunately, there was a woman who ran in Ohio who I really liked who got clobbered by Mike DeWine uh, unjustly, I must say. So um, the first hour today uh, from two to three uh, Pacific time, five to six Eastern, and then we'll be uh, broadcast on uh, the Progressive Radio Network at 5 p.m. on Thursday, Eastern time. Uh, we are gonna talk about the election, election issues. We have two great uh, reporters and activists with us, Steve Rosenfeld from San Francisco and John Brakey, who I believe has qualified for um, uh, hero status uh, in, in terms of what he has done to shape the uh, electoral process in Arizona. Uh, in ways that I think very significantly impacted the outcome and have uh, really, along with the Georgia miracle, which Steve has written about, the Georgia way, uh, will continue over the years to impact how our elections are conducted. And uh, those of you who are celebrating a pro-democracy outcome in this particular election uh, owe a lot to, uh, we all owe a lot to what happened in Georgia in 21, which uh, of which this, these calls were an integral part. And also in Arizona, uh, uh, a lot of what uh, John Brakey has done. So we're gonna get to John uh, in a minute uh, and Steve as well. Um, as I say, we're, we're engineered by the great Mike Hirsch uh, with Progressive Democrats of America and uh, by Steve um, uh, Caruso, uh, Free Press, uh, Comus Free Press in, in Central Ohio and Steve is also our webmaster and Wendy, um, our talent scout uh, in Fort Lauderdale and our, our bouncer here. But Wendy will be timekeeping you. Uh, um, uh, when you call in, we're trying to limit uh, calls in to, or participatory to 90 seconds 
which gives us some uniformity. And it sounds like a small amount, but a minute and a half is a pretty good chunk. Um, and uh, and that, that's how we'll proceed. The second hour, uh, starting at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, is going to focus on nuclear power, especially the fight at Diablo Canyon, uh, this latest crazy talk about using nuclear reactors to generate hydrogen. I mean, come on. And um, um, uh, the attack on uh, uh, solar in California, which uh, did have a solar tax or a tax on all rooftop solar panels, and which I think was devastating and may be gone. We'll deal with that, but also with the cuts in um, the uh, net metering compensation for solar panels, which is a very big deal, and which Ron Leonard will talk about with Christopher Bricka, uh, uh, Tatanka, and we'll be joined by Dan Hirsch, who has a tremendous history in um, uh, dealing both with nuclear power and with nuclear weapons. So um, we got a, a great, great lineup uh, today, as always. It's uh, always a pleasure and honor and a joy to be with all of you. It's good to see Hetty Tripp there. And uh, Hetty reminds me that um, uh, one of our guests, uh, Keith Ellison, uh, the Attorney General of uh, Minnesota, who prosecuted the George Floyd case and who has been on with us. And I actually met personally, I've, I've known him for a while actually, uh, at a recent uh, gathering in Los Angeles, barely won, but he did win re-election. <laughs> and, and he's doing a little victory dance there. He did win re-election in uh, Minnesota uh, as Attorney General, for which we're deeply grateful. We are nonpartisan, so if he had been a Republican, we'd still be uh, celebrating his victory. I do want to say, give it as sort of a preamble. Uh, oh, there's another thing I want to mention. There's been a, a lot of talk in the wake of this election. Uh, there was a treaty signed with the Cherokee Nation in the 1830s uh, uh, as part of the price of forcing them to move from uh, the, the Smoky Mountains, from the Appalachians out to Oklahoma. They were promised as a nation a non-voting delegate to the U.S. House of Representatives. And of course, that's never happened. And I think it should be a voting delegate. But nonetheless, there's now a lot of talk about them finally getting it. So let's hope that does happen. Uh, I also want to say, note the last meeting we were celebrating the victory of Lula in, uh, in Brazil. And there was a question of whether Bolsonaro, uh, one of the worst people in all of history, uh, to uh, that if he was going to peaceably step down. And so far in the wake of that election, which I believe was on October 30th, um, he has not done what Trump did. Uh, he has not stormed the Capitol. He does not appear to be in the process of attempting a coup d'etat. And uh, that in, in Brazil, given the nature of the rainforest and its importance to the global ecology um, uh, is a big deal. And uh, that arguably the election in Brazil was every bit as important as the election here that we just witnessed in the United States. And it, it, went, the, um, it went the way of the ecology. And uh, so far, uh, Lula um, will be, uh, as best we can tell, the next prime minister of, uh, of uh, Brazil. And, uh, and Bolsonaro appears to be peaceably giving way, uh, to, which of course, Donald Trump did not do. So uh, let's hope that that holds as well. Very big deal. Uh, I was petrified, as I'm sure many of you were, that Bolsonaro was going to uh, hold on to power. And um, uh, he is uh, one evil dude. So 
um, he does appear to be gone. So we can all be thankful for that. Uh, I do want to say, Eric, I'll get to you in a minute, uh, to open up that we have talked for the last two years about uh, the change in this country, which is both gender and, and generational. And uh, we have talked about the idea of women taking power in this country um, as a matriarchal force, and of course, as an electoral force, and uh, being married to a lawyer, uh, I can tell you the significance of women now being a majority <laughs> of the law students in this country. It's a big deal. And um, uh, this election, above all, was a woman's election. I suppose we can thank Samuel Alito and the Supreme Court uh, for uh, what they did on Roe v. Wade, which is unconscionable, but had an obvious impact on the vote um, and the outcome of this election. Uh, women who were a substantial majority, I've seen up to 53% of the electorate in this country clearly voted overwhelmingly against those who wanted to keep abortion uh, to, uh, illegal uh, or to make it illegal once again. And uh, we saw in particular the outcome in Michigan where the, um, uh, uh, the referendum to put uh, abortion rights into the constitution passed overwhelmingly and resulted, I believe the top three elected officials in Michigan now are women. Uh, the governor, the AG, and I think the secretary of state, uh, I believe now are all women. Steve is shaking his head, so apparently that's right. And uh, we know why that happened. And you have to wonder what might have happened in Wisconsin or Ohio, for example, had there been on the ballot a similar um, uh, referenda to institutionalize the protections uh, for a woman's right to choose. At the same time, um, we, are, we have talked uh, often on these calls about um, uh, the rise of the millennials and the Zoomers. In other words, people born after 1980, uh, which includes four of my daughters. Well, three of them actually. I have a Gen X daughter. I have three um, a Zoomer, uh, um, millennials and then one Zoomer. So I'm kind of well represented. Uh, but uh, the, the fact is that it's very clear that millennials and Zoomers, people under 40 basically, voted hugely for the progressive agenda. And uh, this is something that we're now gonna live with. The, the, um, the millennials and the Zoomers are gonna progressively age more and more Zoomers. Not all the Zoomers are by any stretch, they were born up to, 19, uh, up to 2016, have been eligible to vote. And so we might presume as a historian, we would presume that the, the rise of the millennials and Gen Zs um, are gonna continue to move the dial to the left. Uh, and we actually had the first uh, Gen Z candidate, 25 years old for God's sakes, elected to the Congress from Orlando. Uh, I think it's the progressive um, uh, impact of Disney World <laughs> Sorry, but uh, you know, nonetheless, uh, this is definitely happening here. And um, uh, so things that we've talked about on this call for two years, uh, along with Michael Moore, uh, did seem to come true. So I wanted to do that as a preamble. We are joined by Ray McClendon from Georgia. And uh, Ray, we will call on you too. We've got John Brakey and Steve Rosenfeld with us. So we've got uh, three very significant players 
in the role of grassroots uh, politics in this country. Nancy and Parker, you have a hand up. So go ahead, yes. Uh, you're muted. Nancy, you're muted. Uh, uh, asked to unmute, here we go, there you go. No, not yet. I just wanna to add to what you said about Michigan. My cousin in Michigan said that they finally corrected by constitution some of the gerrymandering. Oh yeah. Michigan was always a democratic state and now it's returning there thanks to some correction of the gerrymandering. Yes, that was key. And if, you know, coming from Ohio, um, you know, Ohio is horrifically gerrymandered. And of course, they, you know, the, the Republicans did win the statewide Senate and gubernatorial races, but the Ohio delegation to the Congress is ridiculous um, in terms of its gerrymandering. And it's also a huge problem in Wisconsin, where you had the, go the Democratic governor reelected. You had the Democratic candidate for Senate lose, but so it, it was close, divided. But the the state legislature in Wisconsin, I believe, has a Republican supermajority, as does the the state legislature in Ohio, which is absolutely unconscionable. So um, uh, we're ready to proceed now. I do want to, uh, John Brakey and Steve Roosevelt, if you don't mind, I would like to call on Ray McClendon to get us rolling here. Uh, we've had a ma massive um, and very important shift in this country in two states in terms of how our elections are, are uh, conducted. And we have two of the major players with us in terms of the activist roles that they've played. Uh, John Brakey, who has been leading the charge nationwide, but also especially in Arizona, to give us um, you know, fair elections, and Ray McClendon, in Atlanta. So if you don't, and we do have an election uh, coming up in Atlanta, we're calling it the mansion runoff. And if you don't mind, John, I'd like to defer to Ray McClendon. Ray, are you with us? Ray McClendon. I am here. Ray, well, uh, first of all, a hearty mazel tov on your, uh, <laughs> your whatever it was with, with uh, uh, Reverend Warnock. And now of course, all eyes are turned to Atlanta and for, to Georgia for the runoff, you know, it, it appeared it would de, uh, de decide as it did in 21, uh, whether, you know, the 50-50, but we have the 50-50 now. The question now is, what will the, um, what will the, the outcome, uh, the, the, the fact that you're going into this election 50-50 already, um, and uh, uh, the, the question of grassroots campaigning, how within a short window, you have less than four weeks now. So how do we expect it to play out in Arizona, in, in Georgia, and and uh, what is what will the role be of the the NAACP and the uh, Center for Common Ground? Okay, well, thank first of all, thanks Harvey, and thanks to all of you that are supporting uh, what's going on in Georgia. And Georgia indeed is still very very important. That's the first thing that we need to get across that Georgia is important, even with what happened in Arizona and Nevada, uh, we, we, we are still very significant uh, in this election for a number of reasons. And, and many of you on this call are very savvy and you know, know this already. But, but number one, we know that there's a dramatic difference between 50-50 and 51-49. First of all, 
that it, it 5149 would allow for the majority to have a majority on all of the committees. That's significant for all of your cabinet appointments, for your judiciary appointments, and for discharging petitions out of the Senate committees. In fact, um, President Biden referenced this in his first set of comments uh, from overseas when the vote uh, came down uh, and, and the AP called for um, the, the vote in Nevada. So that's number one. Number two is that uh, as, as Harvey appropriately alluded to it, this is the, the Joe Manchin runoff. In other words, we wanna make Joe, Joe Manchin uh, irrelevant. <clears throat> and we make him irrelevant by going to 5149 where no one Senator can hijack um, the policies <clears throat> of the majority. So that, that's important. And then finally, you, you all remember that at, at one point they could not take a vote because we had one Senator and Harvey, you probably remember who it was, but one of the senators uh, got sick, got ill, and they had to postpone a vote because that one senator, senator was critical to, to uh, passing legislation. So 5149 makes a significant difference over uh, a 50-50 uh, uh, separation of power. So, that, so those are all of the components. But then there's one big issue that is about Georgia. And that is that Georgia, and especially those um, up and coming young citizens, those in the, the minority community, we need a Senator who is gonna respond to our needs, respond to the policy initiatives that we need for this state. Um, and sometimes it, in, in the the uh, fog of the competition for the national view of elections that that uh, goes unresponded uh, to, but it makes a big difference to Georgians whether or not we have someone who is going to be advocating for us, fighting for us, and therefore keeping many in black and brown communities, especially uh, in Georgia, engaged not only for this election but knowing that their voices are being heard, uh, the power of their vote is being represented. And that's gonna make a huge difference, not only for this election, but, but going forward. There's a change going on in Georgia and this will make a major difference in it. So, so this, this, this is a gargantuan, um, more significant election, even though the balance of power is not directly at play as it was in 2020. Um, grassroots will make the difference. Thank you, Harvey, for your for your article. It was spot on in terms of what needs uh, to happen. Grassroots organizations need to be funded in order to get this vote back out. Typically, in a runoff election, the vote count goes down by over 50% from the general election. It might be even higher than that unless we motivate <clears throat> our progressive voters. Uh, so we have been meeting tirelessly over the last 48 hours to start planning the strategy for, for getting out the vote over, over the next three weeks. So we'll be working through the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, 
the 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 full fruit of SB 202, the voter suppression legislation, is having an impact. As as Harvey mentioned, we last in 2020, it was a nine week process. This year, it is only four weeks, uh, and the challenges are exacerbated by the fact that we not only have the Thanksgiving holiday, but we also have this obscure Robert E. Lee. Oh, God. Right. Robert E. Lee holiday, which means that we will not have a full weekend of early voting. So uh, that that situation is being litigated right now. And so, and so it, it appears that we might be able to get at least one Saturday and one Sunday of early voting. But that's up in the air right now. As of right now, we only have uh, one week, Monday through Friday, November 28th through December 2nd of early voting. That's really critical because that's where we really got our voters out in the general election was through the early voting process. So now we've got that sandwiched all into one week right after Thanksgiving. So we've got our work cut out for us, but we're up to the task. We've got uh, people are volunteering from all over the country. Uh, they are sending in funds. They are agreeing to, to do phone banking, text banking. Uh, we, we, we really <clears throat> need those as the priority. Some people are coming in to canvas, but as we have said in the past, the best canvassers are the canvassers who are from the local communities. So if you want to canvas, we, we really prefer that you sponsor a local canvasser. Um, save that money, <clears throat> do some phone banking from wherever you are, and send that money in to us to contribute to covering a set of, of, of canvases. We know everybody wants to get out, and we're excited, and we want that enthusiasm, but we want to be strategic about the way we do this. We also okay. want to thank the Center for Common Ground for doing postcarding. Um, postcarding has already started. Uh, I don't know if if uh, we're going to hear from Andrea on this call, uh, but we were on a call early today mapping our strategy. Uh, Andrea is going to be doing uh, almost over nine hundred thousand postcards across the state to get to get voters out. So we're mobilizing, and and we're going to be bringing in <clears throat> bringing in resources from across the country. We need your help. This is important, and we plan to deliver a progressive across the finish line. So you are, of course, nonpartisan. If you will put your links to the Atlanta, is it the Atlanta or Georgia NAACP? We'll put in Atlanta, Atlanta NAACP is leading the charge, right. coordinating a statewide effort, right? So your, your donations to the Atlanta NAACP are for get out the vote. They are nonpartisan. They are tax deductible. And we are not supporting officially a candidate here, uh, as is Ray. Ray is, is basically focused on getting out the minority and the youth vote uh, in Georgia, which has made a tremendous amount of difference. Steve Rosenfeld has written about it uh, with you, Ray. And uh, I have a piece up today at Reader Supported News. Uh, Steve, I think you have it. If you could put the link up, uh, which is about precisely this. I'm glad you reminded me, Ray. I always forget about my own articles. So, um, but uh, people should take a look at that article. And if you're going to donate to the campaign 
in uh, Georgia, uh, please uh, go. Oh, yeah, there's my article. Um, uh, please go to uh, that one's at Reader Supported News. There's the link, and then I have the link to Ray to Ray's organization, the Georgia NAACP, and to Andrea Ray. If you'll come back next week as well to give us an update, uh, that would be great. Um, <laughs> if anybody has questions for Ray, go ahead. I do want to Ray. While you're on, I want you to connect with. Uh, if any two people have helped reshape how elections happen in America, it's Ray McClendon and John Brakey. And uh, John, uh, you are in Arizona. Uh, okay, Ray, Ruth Strauss raised her hand. Ruth, I could never pass you up and then we'll go uh, to Justin and then we'll go to John Brakey. Real quick, please, very quickly. Ruth yeah, um, Ray, uh, there was a great meeting yesterday with Andrea, which I'm sure you know about. So there are four different places to donate. And I'd like you, if you can, to say uh, what should be you know, prioritized. And maybe it's NAACP and Andrea, but of course there's also, uh, even though this is nonpartisan, I get to say, <laughs> anyway, there's also Georgia Democrats and Raphael Warnock. And I don't know whether I can say that on this meeting or not. Yeah, but, but we can't, so go ahead. Okay, so is Ray allowed to say how to prioritize? Well, I, I can't say that, but but let me let me just say this: um, we have put out a nonpartisan um, analysis on the issues between the two candidates, and we'll be passing that out. And when you see the nonpartisan analysis on the issues, those are issues that are relevant to progressives those issues that are relevant to 95% of the minority community, black and brown people in Georgia, uh, it will spur people to vote for one candidate. So we get to the same place without making a recommendation on who to vote for. So we are putting that information out there. The other part of this is that Candidates need people that are trusted in the communities to amplify their messaging. And so we can do it from a nonpartisan basis with that trust in the community. And that's what we'll be doing. So when you donate for GOTV efforts to the Center for Common Ground, uh, as many people did yesterday on Andrea's call, and, and when, you, when you donate to the Atlanta NAACP, you are really supporting the progressive candidate uh, based upon the issues and we know which one that is. Okay, very good. Um, uh, Justin, Keith, John Steiner, then, and, and then John Brakey, we're gonna give you your way to tell us uh, what's happening in, or, and has happened in Arizona. Very quickly, please, Justin, Keith, and John Steiner, go ahead. So Ray, you'd mentioned that uh, due to holidays, there's only one weekend currently available for early voting. Uh, if you could emphasize a little bit more why weekend is so critical out of 30 days of early voting, because I think a lot of people may not really understand the full context of that. Sure, well, let, let me say, first of all, we went from, in, in 2020, the time between the general election and the runoff was nine weeks. Okay, the SB 202 uh, voter suppression was put specifically in place for to use a number of tactics to make it more difficult for working people, people of color to vote. 
one one of their mo most insidious ways of dealing with that was to cut down this time frame. Now think about it. We have Thanksgiving holiday. So they made it four weeks with a Thanksgiving holiday and the, the law doesn't allow you to have weekend voting within two days of a holiday. Uh, num that's number one. Uh, so that eliminates the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Then it also doesn't allow for uh, on any holiday. And it just so happens that there's a Robert E. Lee holiday, okay, that is on the other side of that, so that we can't have early voting after uh, on that on that following Saturday. So as it stands right now, we cannot have any Saturday voting, and only certain counties that that uh, vote to do it will have Sunday voting. So as it stands right now, the only eligible time to early vote will be five days, just five days from November 28th through December 2nd. Now, two things are happening. One is there's a suit uh, that's being filed that will force the state to allow at least one Saturday of early voting. Uh, and then there, there are, we're, we're pressing counties to agree to do uh, at least Sunday, November 27th as early voting as well. But that's up in the air and you see what, how compressed the time frame is. Um, we, we are in the midst of trying to litigate these matters and get the word out and we can't affirmatively tell voters that they have early voting on the weekends until we get through some of these hurdles. Okay. So we're, we're gonna be pressed for time to get the word out to let people know who work during the week that they will have uh, early voting on the weekends, which was a major way that we got people to the polls during the general election because we had two weekends of early voting in the in the past cycle. So this is a big deal, but this, this was intentional. Make no mistake about it. This was intentional and we're gonna do every damn thing possible in order to overcome it. But this was intentionally a part of the legislation and, why, and one reason why we were so uh, adamant about why we, we did not wanna see this legislation pass. Yeah, and uh, I, the Robert E. Lee, I can't believe you still have a uh, a holiday for Robert E. Lee. I hope the Robert E. Lee holiday is to thank him for losing at Gettysburg. Uh, that, you know, but anyway, Kurt, Keith Kurtz, real quick, um, uh, John Stein and then we're going to John Brakey and Steve Rosenfeld. Go ahead, uh, Keith Kurtz. What's uh, the address for the uh, Atlanta double, NAACP? It should be in the chat. Can we put your address in the chat? Yeah, it's in the chat. Thank you, Keith. Thank I don't you. know how to work the chat. I do not know how to work it. Uh, can you give him verbally an email, uh, Ray McClendon? Oh, you're muted. How'd that happen? Yeah, it's in, it's, it's in AACP Atlanta dot, dot org. There you go. NAAC Atlanta dot org. Thank you for okay. that. Um, uh, yeah, if you put that in, then then um, it, it'll take you to a page and it'll show you where to donate. John Steiner. 
Hey, Ray, good to see you. Thanks, Harvey. Ballpark, what would it cost to uh, support one canvasser between now and the election? Uh, it, it takes about $140 per day. Okay. And you think about it, well, we're going to have canvassers out uh, for a minimum of nine to 10 days over that period. Thanks. I want to mention also Greg Powers' film, uh, Vigilante, which documents a lot of the uh, disenfranchisement that's going on in Georgia. It's v Vigilante, uh, the film uh, by Greg Powers. Just go ahead. I think I sent you the link, Steve. Uh, if not, uh, it's easy to remember Vigilante and Greg Powers. Just Google them. Okay, if you'll stay with us, Ray, we want to connect you up with John Brakey and then with Steve Rosenfeld. Uh, and we have to be tight on the uh, one hour uh, window here because we are going to put this as a unit on the radio. And then the second hour, we're going to go into energy issues. John Brakey, one of the great heroes of election protection in America. Uh, tell us what happened in Arizona and how it uh, links up, uh, what, what we learned about protecting the ballots and how that links up to what we're up against in Georgia, please. Well, thank you, Harvey. And, uh, but first I just wanna mention about Michael Moore that you brought up. And you know, he wrote today, we live in a very new America where the younger generation is on fire and where women have had it up to here. And, uh, and yes, the tipping point looks to be young people, women, and principal Republicans like my friend Ken Bennett. Ken is the former SOS Secretary of State and President of the State Senate, who is going to be an Arizona State Senator again and will personally push through our bill in Arizona to make our elections transparent, trackable, publicly verified with a ballot library, along with our new Secretary of State. Adrian Fontes. And we know that and we all know that transparency is the currency of trust. Here is an excerpt of Adrian Fontes's statement, our new Secretary of State. The cancer in democracy is disinformation. We must kill the illusion of conspiracies through transparency. This can be achieved by making Arizona's elections publicly verifiable with ballot images. This just does just not everything. Voting system in Arizona uses pictures of every ballot called ballot images, he writes. The votes are counted from these images. These proposed, the proposed legislation would make images which cannot be traced back to an original voter. The legisla legislation also means each image would be, could be matched up against the corresponding paper ballot, allowing for more verifiability and transparency. This legislation will allow the public to see for themselves the good work that election officials in Arizona continue to do on their behalf and would go a long ways to improving transparency by shining a light of transparency on every ballot. So I support 2780. That is what Adrian Fontes has said. Right. So what we Democrats have, in the legislature. What we have now in Arizona is a progressive pro-democracy secretary of state. And what, we're, what you've pioneered in Arizona and elsewhere is a system of universal hand-marked paper ballots that are scanned uh, electronically so that we can have a rapid and reliable electronic vote count that is then backed with 
a paper ballot that can be hand counted. Is that basically what you're what you've got in Arizona now? Oh, totally. Totally. We fought and we got hand-marked paper ballots on everything. And the only way you get to use a BMD is if you are disabled and you need to. Okay. Right. So and that's it. You, you, you brought to our calls a, the, the, a, a very powerful Republican who has been reelected, I assume, uh, Ken Bennett, and you are working bipartisan now to establish with a progressive secretary of state a statewide system of hand-marked paper ballots where they're scanned, they're counted electronically, and then there's a backup with the hand-counted ballots, which are preserved. Is that an accurate description of what we've got? That is totally accurate. Fantastic. And that's important because that is how we take back our democracy by having elections that we all can believe in. And that's how we're gonna make democracy thrive. And that's why, you know, transparency is the currency of trust. So and we all understand that. And big things will come out of Arizona by April. We hope to get this bill passed by April 21st, what happens to be my birthday, I'll be 69, with Republicans and Democrats votes, and we'll launch it nationally. That's In the last session of the year, we missed passing this bill by one vote, one vote with no Democrats on board. It was a political year. I didn't believe the bill had any hope. I didn't get involved until it went to the Senate. And by that time, the Democrats were locked down and they didn't. But now we are working together again. We should be able to get a major majority of both parties to pass this bill and then launch it nationally uh, with big money behind it because we are talking to funders and then have a tour out there with Ken Bennett, uh, different uh, people from Arizona talking about Hey, rest of the country, we're sorry we screwed up in Arizona and good things are coming out. We've learned how to make our democracy thrive by making it transparent, trackable, publicly verified. So this is the uh, system that Bob Fetrakis and I have been advocating uh, since uh, 2004 in Ohio yeah. when the voting machines made a mess. Steve Rosenfeld came in and helped us with this. And so this is a national event. If you get this bill passed in Arizona, we will have a Zoom call devoted, we'll do it before, totally devoted to this system of universally mailed out, hand counted, hand marked paper ballots, mailed back in or dropped back in, and then are then scanned. <clears throat> we, we tabulate with the scanner, and then we, and then we hand count the paper ballots <clears throat> if need be. Ray McClendon, uh, if, are you still on the call, Ray? Does this look anything like we've got going in Georgia uh, this time, uh, Ray? Uh, do, what, how are the ballots going to be uh, cast and counted in Georgia in this runoff? If you're there, uh, and Steve Rosenfeld, you can chime in as well uh, because you go around the country reporting on this. This uh, sort of uh, utopian system of hand-marked um, of electronically scanned and backup hand counted paper ballots. Is it anywhere else in the United States? Steve Rosenfeld, you sure. can ask. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure it is. Um, but but the the the, um, the verification system that John is talking about is not as widely used, and and that's really the problem. You know, we have a new generation of voting machines that are um, more data rich 
which means more accountable if you know how to go upstream and what the key decision points are. And that's where the ballot images come in. You know, you match the starting line of the digital analysis with the finish line of the, 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 the tallied votes. So they have the same system statewide in Georgia as they do in, in many Arizona counties, including Maricopa County. But they don't use ballot image audits. They use a risk limiting audit, which is basically a statistical audit which um, I'm not a fan of because I don't think that you need to estimate accuracy when you can actually have a fuller accounting. And actually, when you have this statistical process, when things are really close, you end up reverting to a, to a hand count, which can be very, very cumbersome, especially if it's more than one race at one time. Um, I, I don't want to get into the hand count debate here, but the answer to your question um, is that this, the, the electronics are there, the data is there, the software is there, but it's not always widely used and made public. Public, In fact, Florida passed a law and wrote the rules this that were to be in place this, this cycle to have uh, ballot image recounts. And somebody in the governor's, because he appoints the secretary of state, the secretary of state's office would not approve that. So it didn't happen for this cycle, even though it, the law passed and rules had been written to, you know, implement the process. So that's the fight. The fight is to use the strengths of like a paper and technology to match each other and go upstream and give people evidence we're seeing is believing. And that really is the trick. Um, and that's the challenge. Ray McClendon, you're back with us. We've been discussing the, uh, the use of hand-marked, digitally scanned paper ballots where the recounts, where the initial count is done through the scanned images and the recounts can be done with hand counted paper ballots. Do you have anything, what do you think about that in Georgia? How, how big a role will that play in this coming um, uh, uh, runoff? Well, uh, Brother Brakey is the, the expert on this. Um, we, we just have not had a, a significant problem at all in Georgia with the use of machines in Georgia. I mean, the, 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 the issues that have arisen, we've, as you will recall in 2020, uh, we, we had recounts three different times. And, and so the data just doesn't support that the system here doesn't work. So, 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 I'm, so, so all I, I can say is I'm not an expert in this area. Uh, John is uh, so I'll defer to him on 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 whether or not it would make sense for us to have a national standard on on paper. But as far as the way it worked here in Georgia, both in 2020 and in uh, 22, as an example, we you know all of our ballots were counted by November 9th, and we really don't have any issues. Uh, with with the way that the scans worked. Uh, well, let me back up. There were a few isolated cases on that, but the 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 uh, fraud concerns, uh, any of those election protection issues from from either side, conservative or progressive, just didn't rise here to the same level that it has in other states. I don't know whether it's the equipment, whether it's the integrity of the people who are actually operating it, 
in in the um, Secretary of State's office. Uh, so I just don't, I can't speak to that as much as I can about some of the other polling issues that we have with long lines and that, and that kind of thing. Well, tell us real quickly, and, and John and Steve, you can chime in here. Um, um, the Ray, a rather, a, a Greg Palace film, Vigilante, puts out the idea that uh, there are challenges being raised by individual people for to tens of thousands of potential voters that could in, impact the nature of the voting process. Uh, can you tell us about that? In, in, in Georgia coming up. Is well, this well let, me, let me speak to that. Let me speak to that because Steve, uh, John, uh, I, I was- Follow up on that. Well, I, 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 I was with Greg Palace when, when his documentary aired, uh, premiered in, 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 in Georgia. Um, and, and, and I must give him credit uh, for what he did do was he took the this whole voter challenge issue, which was a part of SB 202. And we've had voter challenges before, but essentially it was weaponized by SB 202 to the extent that any voter can now just go and do massive uh, aggregate voter challenges. And so we had individual citizens going and challenging tens of thousands of individual voters. Um, on some very unscrupulous um, machinations in from things like address addresses to um, middle initial changes, all kinds of, of of minor issues that can crop up in just normal data entry. Uh, and so initially. Um, the the uh, local election boards were pulling their hair out. What happened was in the the larger counties that had competent legal counsel, they were able to uh, get control of this process and begin to throw out large numbers of these challenges. In uh, Gwinnett County, it was over thirty seven thousand. In Cobb County. There were over 10,000 and smaller numbers in Fulton County. Uh, Steve, you know the numbers, I think it was 15 and 18,000. So, so they were able to begin to throw many of these challenges out. So that's a totally different issue, but it was, that, it was intimidation. What Greg did, which was important, was he personalized it. So he went in and started looking at some of the individual people who were being intimidated by this process. And a lot of them were African-American and a lot of them had rich histories in voting. I mean, like as, as an example, one lady was a first cousin of Dr. Martin Luther King. Uh, an, another person was, was one of the uh, uh, father was one of the civil rights icons uh, where people like Dr. Abernathy and C.T. Vivian used to meet on a regular basis and his son was challenged and, hit, and, and he was serving the U.S. Uh, Air Force out in California and had to come back home to cure his situation. So the point was he humanized it and that made a huge difference in being able to portray 
how um, insidious this, this mass challenge process was. So we did not get on election day what people were afraid of, which was that there were gonna be mass challenges and, and massive confusion on election day by these challenges. That didn't happen. So listen, everybody has an assignment. We're gonna come back to this next week. You all need to see Greg Palace's movie, A, A Vigilante. Um, uh, uh, John and Steve, do you wanna comment on this mass uh, disenfranchisement? Okay. Critically important. Again, the movie is Vigilante. Go ahead, John and then Steve. John, are you unmuted? And Steve Rosenfeld? Um, so actually, I would just add one or two things very, very briefly to what Ray said. You know, the challenges were brought by people that some of us on this call know. And that's really disappointing. So, um, you know, I, I ran into some of these people during the 2020 recount, presidential recount. And they just assumed because the candidate that they wanted to win didn't win, that everything was wrong and they weren't looking for problems. And what they eventually did, and this is really true with a lot of the, the Trump Republican election deniers, is they basically used bad data, bad government data that was never designed for voting, for, for vetting voters and, and, and voter rolls. And they do these bogus statistical analyses that just create a mountain of paperwork. So um, when, um, when Garland Favorito of Voter GA comes in with people and submitting 10 and 20 and 30,000 challenges, and they have to be addressed one by one in these election offices that are basically understaffed and underfunded, this creates the backlog, which if you go to past elections, and you know, Greg Pallas and his film has, films have talked about this as well, you get these backlogs, tens of thousands at a time of voter registrations that don't get processed in time. And the excuse is, oh, we'll get to them by the next election. And so you're dealing with like, and, and so this, this summer, to their credit, a lot of these Georgia you know, county election boards in the metro Atlanta area fixed this. But they had to do it one by one and they had to hire staff and it took months and months and months. But this pattern of using bogus data for specious statistical analyses where you know you're gonna have false positives. It is, a, it is a tactic that is rife through all of this election denial stuff from these you know, self-appointed experts that we're seeing on all these Mike Lindell forums and things like that. And, um, I'm just saying that is kind of what has been going on in the background. And as we look towards what happened last week, you know, the question is what's, and we're seeing some of this stuff now begin to percolate, you know, on social media. What crazy claims are people making to challenge the results? Like John will probably be able to tell you if later today, um, later, if later today, Carrie Lake is declared the loser in Arizona, what stuff is going to come up that's going to claim, oh, there's something back, backstage and it's nefarious and we can't believe it and it's underhanded and it's invisible, but by God, it's not right. And I'll just pass the baton to John right there. But think about the dynamic. And that's, that's what I'm trying to point to because it's, it's, you know, there's so much data that can be used in election systems. And if one little thing is off, people say, oh my God, the sky is falling. We can't fix it. Throw the whole thing out. And you know we we got to be a little more grown up than that, but that doesn't necessarily 
happen just because we might want to be more grown up than that. Thank you, Steve. Uh, we're gonna, we got six minutes left. He is right. Uh, is Carrie Lake and Fincham are going to go ahead and Fincham's already rallying his troops to do this. There, there may be big claims coming out about fraud, okay? Uh, Carrie Lake, uh, was, was, a lot of people thought she was gonna pull it out and win because on election day, she got all her people to vote at precincts and they won big time there. They got like 64%, but that was only 10% of the vote. The vote by mail that came in that day dropped off, caused this big delay of 400,000 ballots we were concerned that those votes would go like 60%, but they didn't. And that's because a lot of young people jumped in, Harvey, and people like me who vote late and procrastinate. I'm a professional procrastinator, you know? And, uh, and I didn't drop mine off until Monday, my wife's and mine. And so that got in the later pile and it did not act like election day because there was a big red wave that hit around two in the morning and it was from the Republicans who voted at a precinct and they finally got uploaded because they have scanners at precincts, but they dropped off 400,000 ballots between two locations. And those ballots, when they come in, have to be inventoried and then sent to the recorder's office, then sent to Runbeck, which is the printer, who runs them through his machine, removes the outer envelope, and then takes a picture of it, sends the picture to Maricopa to verify. And then Maricopa sends back, say, okay, send us these votes. So then they're gonna take the 300,000 ballots, put it on the machine again, and then send over what's approved. You see okay, how long so of a delay? And that's where Ken Bennett and Adrian Fontes, hopefully by the end of the month or sometime in December, will be going to Florida to meet with their secretary of state because we wanna understand how they count so fast and, and we got to sort of, but we want to actually see it. And so the then bottom, also John, try to get the secretary line, of state. The bottom, line, the bottom line, John, is that you have a, in place a credible um, and um, uh, in, un, unbreakable backup to give us a fair and clean appraisal of how the vote actually went. And Sluggo, we've got four people with their hands up, so we'd, yes. we'd really like okay. to uh, have them. I'll finish up. Questions. Yes, that is the case. And, okay. uh, and it could be something very exciting that will break, hopefully, in the next two years across the country, because we're going to pass it in April, thanks to this election and the team that we have now in office for coming so, in. So good. So listen, Thank uh, for next week, we'll go to our questions, and then we'll wrap up this first hour. Uh, a little after the hour, but we'll still have uh, time for the second uh, part, which is going to be on energy, nuclear power, and uh, solar. But the, the bottom line, Steve and, and John and, and Ray, is we want to continue this next week uh, as we get closer into the uh, Georgia race, which is uh, not only critical for, the for power in this country, but also in how we conduct our elections. You got to remember, for me, we started in 2004, Bob Petrakis, and I, with Greg and, and um, uh, Steve Rosenfeld, came in, and uh, we we had Bev Harris in the, in Georgia. I mean, in Florida, <clears throat> and uh, we had a system that was dominated by completely black box voting machines, where the outcome could be manufactured by anybody uh, with computer skills. And now, 20 years later, we have a system coming out of Arizona 
one being used in Georgia, uh, Nevada, we had a situation with paper ballots in Nye County where they should have been scanned and they weren't, but nonetheless, we know what to do now. And hopefully by 24, we will have uh, the, the Arizona model on top of the Georgia miracle that will give us elections that are accurate, that are fair, and that can be, and can be verified, that are transparent. What a concept. So there you go. Okay, thank you very much. Let's get to these four questions and then we'll close out this first hour. It's been great. You still have more than 70 people on the call. Uh, I wanna point out by the way, one of the groups that has been working for uh, grassroots turnout is a Progressive Democrats of America, which is uh, uh, one of our partners on these calls. Uh, Mary, real quickly, uh, then Sue Dorfman, Ruth Strauss, and Wendy, and then we'll, we'll be- We'll go with Sue. Mary has not been unmuting herself. We've been asking her to, and she hasn't. Okay, go ahead, Sue. Okay, I just, I'm gonna add a couple of very quick things. Many of you know that I travel the country documenting democracy with photography. I just went through a uh, whirlwind trip that took me from Pennsylvania to Ohio, to Arkansas, to Mississippi, to Alabama, to North Carolina, and then back up to Pennsylvania for, the, for election day. I just wanna share a couple of very quick observations. VoteBeat, which is a nonpartisan, nonpartisan online did a piece on the vote count in Pennsylvania and how uh, one of the most interesting things is that the um, reporter compared how one county was able to count quicker than another county by the methodology that they used to count. Um, by and large, Pennsylvania has a very strict rule on media being allowed into polling places. One county did allow me to go in and photograph the ballot count procedures. What I was told is that they um, multiplied the number of people and the number of machines that were available in order to expedite the counting on votes because it doesn't start until election day. Um, also very interesting um, stories that didn't get noticed is um, in Pennsylvania, one of the counties won the right to have Spanish put on the ballots. This is definitely an issue going forward of counties that are increasing their um, populations. If you have a 4% threshold, 4% foreign language speaker ballot information for voting has to be in different languages. That's yeah. something to look at going forward. Second thing I wanted to- Do you have a, a question for us, on? Yeah. No, no I'm, I'm, I'm just, Sue, Sue, okay, you... if you don't want me to talk, I'm done. No, no, we, no we... if you got one more point, you can make it quickly and post the link for your um, your your photographs in the chat, please, so people can look. Yeah, away. please do. We just have a ninety second rule because we would have to move on oh, to yeah, the next. Okay, the ninety second rule is in place. Sue, thank you for that. Stick with us in the second hour, if you will. Please post the link to your work. We'd like to see it. Okay, uh, Wendy, go ahead. Then Ruth. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, I was just going to ask, um, Stephen, I was going to drop a link for us. Uh, Stephen wrote an amazing article that was addressing um, what the pundits were saying versus what actually happened and how um, the pundits were saying that everyone cares about inflation and um, an economy, or let's call it what it really is, is, is corporate greed, not necessarily inflation. That's my own point. But um, so I'm going to put that link in the chat. But I also kind of wanted to ask um, Stephen just briefly, like what he saw in Arizona and Nevada, especially with the hand counts and um, ideally like with the, the process of what he was seeing versus like what would be ideal and how what it means for um, the election integrity movement in general, even just having that movement towards 
more oversight and how um, it can be maybe shifted away from strictly the deniers and brought into the fold? Like, how could it be a positive thing for all of us in the work that John's doing? Thank you. And Sue, I really didn't mean to cut you off. Like, they make me the bouncer, and I, I apologize. It's nothing personal. We really do want to hear from you. I'm sorry. So we do have the 90-second rule. And uh, uh, Sue, that, you can speak in the second hour if you want to come back with us, please. Um, um, okay, uh, Steve, do you want to answer that? We'll go to Ruth Strauss. We'll wrap up this hour, and okay. uh, we'll move into. Well, I'll, I'll be super brief. So, you know, on, on the media narrative part, um, you know, we were told, as everybody heard endlessly, that um, it's all about inflation, price of gas, and the price of food. It's not about abortion. It's not about uh, democracy. Well, it turns out that the Associated Press reported that 44% of the people, and this was a 90,000 plus person sample. That is so much larger than any national poll done by the New York Times, the Washington Post, or any of those folks. 44% said that democracy was their main reason. And, and, and what did they mean by democracy? Because we're hearing, oh gosh, democracy, uh, was the big winner. That's not precise enough. Um, majority of voters had expectations about the way voting would be conducted and who these candidates were. And they precisely rejected candidates who were for a coup and who encouraged violence in polling places by ob observers and harassing election officials and who pledged to that not only would they try to reverse the results of past elections, but they would act to intervene and try to obstruct future elections, whether it was the casting of ballots, the counting of votes, or the certifying of winners. So it's not as if it's correct to say democracy was saved. Actually, it was a certain kind of um, expectation of how elections work that and, and candidates that were rejected. I mean, the folks on this call do not need to be told that democracy was saved when there are so many things that we all would like to see done to American democracy to make it more representative. So that's a little blurry. There were other hey, things. Stephen, Stephen, yeah. come on, we're, we're, we're over time, wrap it up. So, so I'll, I'll leave it right there and, um, you, and I'll respect your time, bye. Okay, thank you, Steve, thank you. Uh, Ruth, very quickly, you had a, a question before. Yeah, uh, uh, actually, it's a it's about vigilante. It's actually a statement. It's, it's hysterically funny and at the same time, I are provoking. And uh, anybody who knows palace mo movies or films, they're always a mixture of both. You know, as an example, he goes into a very high tone, you know, tone with the pearls and the red, you know, bond and all of that. And he's the one that uh, chased him out with a gun. My point is, just my point is, please contribute. If you want to get the film for yourself, please contribute to KPFK. It's a hundred dollar tax deductible donation and you can get the film yourself. Thank you. Thank you. And we want to also uh, uh, ask folks to consider donating to these calls. We have a very low budget, but we do have a budget. Um, it's freepress.org. Uh, Mike, if you can put the link in the chat, they are tax deductible. Uh, we don't need much, but we do need some to continue these calls. Uh, we have a small basic overhead and we would appreciate your financial support. Uh, it does make a big difference uh, just to get keep us uh, basic and on the air. Um, uh, and uh, Greg Powell's film, again, I gotta say Greg is the only guy I've ever seen who manages to get himself thrown out of people's houses uh, while making a film. So it's really worth seeing. But do, uh, do consider supporting these calls and thank you for everything. Mary, we'll give you the last word. 
We're going to close out. We've been joined by uh, um, Dan Hirsch and Kevin uh, Camps to take the second part of our call uh, in the all important issues on nuclear power and solar energy. Very quickly, Mary, please. Has anybody else noticed an influx of GOP people sent to their states to live in their states and run for office? I had it in my state. We had Tiffany Smiley, a GOP okay. from uh, Mitch McConnell that showed up, and luckily she lost. Okay. Well, I haven't noticed that, but, uh, you know, uh, I have seen some space aliens coming in. Uh, uh, but uh, other than that, uh, I'm sure the GOP is doing I do want to mention, by the way, along those lines, and I'll close with this, I, I am reasonably sure that Bernie Sanders gave many, many talks during this campaign. And I, only, I never saw a single news coverage of any speeches that Bernie Sanders gave. I saw Obama. I saw Biden. I never saw Bernie covered. So, Bernie, I want to give you a personal thanks for going out and campaigning during this past election. Um, and, and listen, John Brakey, Steve Rosenfeld, um, um, uh, Ray McClendon, uh, your activism has made a gigantic difference in how we conduct our elections. And we're going to continue to, we'll do this next week. But I, would, I will tell you 100% certain, and we can close on this, that if Dorothy will get you in the second hour, I know what you want to talk about. We'll talk about that in the second hour, Dorothy Wright. Great to have you with us. I do want to say that ha having experienced this since 2004, had there not been an election protection movement in this country, the outcome of the presidential election in 2020 and of these congressional elections in 2022 will be very different. And the work that John is doing in uh, Arizona and Ray in, in Georgia is the culmination of things that have, to, have had to be done to save our democracy. And so thank you very much, you guys. This has been the 117th Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition Zoom call. Uh, we uh, are grateful to everyone for having been with us. Uh, please check the, uh, the chats. And I do have an article this week at Reader Supported News. And um, uh, we will uh, uh, sign off here. Uh, all my listeners,